the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another episode of the Michelle Tafoya podcast. How many times lately have you heard the question asked, what is a woman? And the fact that some people are unwilling to answer that question. Well, my next guest delves into this in her new book, The End of Woman. It's fascinating. She's really interesting. And boy, is the research phenomenal. She is next. Now, it's time for some sanity. It's the Michelle Tafoya podcast. So this is the book, The End of Woman, How Smashing the Patriarchy Has Destroyed Us by Dr. Carrie Gress. She's the, uh, some of you may know her. She's the author of Theology of Home. She has done a lot of research into how feminism began and sort of this dark winding road it has taken to where we are today. This is a great conversation and it's really timely. I mean, this this is one of the issues of the day. What is a woman? Can men be women? Uh, it's the erasure of women. All of this is really timely. And Carrie Gress is going to join us and give us her thoughts on this as she researched for years for this book and, and some of the things she discovered. Um, I can tell you what a woman is. It's a person who is often concerned about her skin. Oh, by the way, let me say this too. Carrie Gress, the author of this book, says that a lot of men really enjoyed it because she doesn't bash on men in this. So this is this. And men are worried about dark spots too, right? So that dark spot on your face, is it still bugging you? And what about the liver spots on your hands and the ones on your neck and your chest? Now you can watch them disappear safely and quickly in three minutes. Introducing the Genucel Dark Spot Corrector three-step three-minute dark spot luxury system, and it does exactly what it sounds like. By using the Cristal's world-famous microdermabrasion before the dark spot corrector and finishing with a touch of the collagen-building Genucel XV, you'll see the dark spots disappear before your eyes instantly, smoothly, and luxuriously. What you're watching on the screen are real results in just a couple of minutes. It's, it's incredible. But don't take my word for it. If you're not blown away with the results, you get 100% of your money back, no questions asked, free shipping, free returns. So go to genucell.com slash Michelle. Order now. The new dark spot treatment system, order it today. Say goodbye to the pesky spots tomorrow. That's genucell, G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash Michelle. Uh, there's more to this story. All three products are included in Genucell's most popular package for August. So you get your Genucell bags and puppy puffiness serum also included all for 70% off retail. Experience the luxury and the effectiveness of Genucell. Order now and watch those dark spots poof in three minutes. 70% off while supplies last. Genucell.com slash Michelle. G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash Michelle with one L. Genucel.com slash M-I-C-H-E-L-E. -E. Go there now. Say goodbye to the dark spots. And after this, say hello to Carrie Gress.
Carrie Grass, it is great to have you. Congratulations on the book. This is a kind of a, a hot topic these days. We saw yeah. the film come out, What is a Woman? Yeah. Uh, it, it feels like women all over America are having to say, hold on a second. I'm not <laughs> a birthing person. I'm, you know, I'm a woman. Right. So right. what what happened in your sort of sphere of life that made you want to write about this? Yeah. Well, I think like most women, you know, that question of what, you know, why can we not answer what, what a woman is, you know, why is this such a challenge for us? Uh, I think the other reality is just, just looking at, um, you know, the metrics of women these days. I've, I've spent a couple of years working on this topic and we don't see women getting happier. We, we're seeing increased rates of depression, suicide, divorce, STDs, you know, all of these awful things. And, um, you know, it's really pointing to something bigger. What, you know, why are women miserable? And, um, so I think those kinds of things. And then, of course, the trans issue obviously has really brought everything to a head in ways that, you know, I didn't, um, I, I think this book tries to answer that. How do we, how do we get to that point? How are these things connected? Um, so that's really what the motivation was. But I have a degree in philosophy. And so it was, just really a great exercise to go back and look at the roots of this and see, you know, how we got to this point in the culture where we're at now. Well, the word that comes up again and again in your book and in your work mm -hmm. is feminism. And yeah. I remember, you know, look, I, I will date myself, but I, I went to the University of California, Berkeley, and I, mm -hmm. I had friends who were taking classes in women's studies. And I was yeah. thinking, women's studies, what is that exactly? And so mm -hmm. I'd go and sit in it with a couple and this, this, the, to me, the feminist idea was that I can do anything better than you can. You know, yeah. it was like yeah. this competition with men, and mm -hmm. um, and it seemed healthy at the time. Mm -hmm. But now that I'm further on in my life, I've had children, which was like an incredible blessing. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like why why don't we just acknowledge our differences and and. Yeah. And, and understand that. But I think feminism started, didn't it, with this from this place of feeling women feeling oppressed? Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I think and I go back in the book all the way to the, the very, very earliest roots of feminism. And I think what the question was not really oppression. It was how do we how do we help women? Because women have very di difficult lives. You know, if you look at the early feminists, that's the question they're asking. But the problem is, is the way that they answer that question. And it wasn't helping women as women, but helping women to become more like men. Um, and we see this, you know, like your experience at, at Berkeley, where women kind of things changed a lot, you know, over the centuries. But when you get to the 1960s, you suddenly have this interjection of the, the new left, which is trying to frame everything in Marxist terms. So men are oppressors automatically just because they're men. Women are oppressed and, and victims merely because they are women. And this just became sort of part of the, the ether. I mean, I think we're, we're, we still live and see this, uh, you know, around us all the time today. Um, so that's real. The real problem is, is that the, we put on this, pla you know, a, a pedestal, really man, manhood and, and to be like a man. And women have gotten into this bizarre relationship where we hate men because they're the oppressors, but we also want to be just like them and do things better, like you were saying, um, because this is what we've been told is really the, the goal of our lives. I know as a, you know, my whole life, this has been something that's dangled out in front of us is, you know, you can do this better than men can. Yeah. And I think that's really where we got stuck is the, the culture took that on. And this is, you know, no one's paying attention to womanhood or has even said anything good about womanhood. Um, 
really for the last 50 years. And so you see these little girls who are wanting to transition into boys and it's not because they want to be boys. It's because they just don't want to be women um, because they don't see really any good reason to, to be women. We, we Which talk to about me it. is com the complete opposite of what feminism yes. should be, right? Exactly. We no, should be championing amazing. each other. And it's, yeah. it is interesting to me that, um, a lot of the, the sort of the women's social groups out there, National Organization of Women, et cetera. Yeah. I, I, I observe that they really only support certain women, not yeah. all yeah. women. Like yeah. if you're a conservative or a really feminine woman, it, mm -hmm. it doesn't seem to me, if you don't fall within their ideological viewpoints, yeah. Yeah. Um, they will abandon you. They, they yeah. abandoned, you know, look, I, I'm so hesitant to to mention any names because people will go, oh my gosh, you're defending fill in the yeah, blank. That's, yeah, that's but Sarah true. Palin was abused, man, and no one stepped up for her. Yeah. And I think that that's the amazing thing is it's not just these national groups. It's, it's uh, every aspect of our culture. That's the narrative. If you look at Hollywood, you look at fashion magazines, you know, Vogue magazine, huh? you know, all the, the Supreme Court justices and and Democrat wives get the Vogue treatment, but, you know, Melania yeah. Trump can't get it, you know, so right. it, it's everywhere. And that's the hard part, because that not only do they shut out conservative women, but they also vilify us or make us look stupid or they ignore us. There's those sort of three elements. And I think, you know, it's it feels really incumbent upon those of us that are, are conservative to start feeling, you know, looking at how do we start filling in that gap? How do we start creating media where, you know, women like that can actually get a real hearing and be treated well and, you know, be promoted because they're certainly not going to be on the front of Vanity Fair. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a huge imbalance that we've allowed to fester and we haven't spent enough time thinking about it and putting money into it as conservatives because we've just gotten used to that, you know, it's just sort of the way that it is. Um, and it doesn't need to be that way. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. No, it doesn't, and it shouldn't. And so as you've explored and written the book, what are ways that we can start doing that? It seems to me if you're a conservative woman, you're naturally – people assume things about you. They assume yeah. you're super religious. They assume you're pro-life. They assume a, a lot of things about mm -hmm. you that you that you don't stand up for other women. That you don't. Mm -hmm. They they kind of right. think that you're. I feel as though they think that you're accommodating men. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I just think it's so unfair. But clearly, mm -hmm. this narrative is out there. Yeah. How do we start to yeah. fight back? 
Well, I think that's a, a great question because part of our problem too is not only have feminists defined their, you know, what the cool good woman looks like, um, <laughs> but they've also defined what the bad woman looks like. You know, the the Handmaid's Tale. They they use these you know strong visuals to sort of imply that unless we just agree with them, then we must be, you know, stupid or submissive, overly submissive or, you know, a doormat. Um, that's, that's kind of what they've, how they've painted us into a corner. And sadly we haven't done enough, you know, I think something like uh, one magazine, you know, if you're at the checkout stand at the grocery store, it would be great to see one magazine that actually celebrated womanhood. And, it, you know, so many women in the United States, they're so, you know, just think about the amazing stories that could be done on early American women and all the, the amazing things that women are doing in the, the culture today. It doesn't have to be overly political. It can just even be something really fun. And um, I, I think that's a piece that we miss is the fun aspect. And um, I, I've published a series of books called Theology of Home to really start sending a different message to women that we don't have to fit into this cookie cutter, but that we have a, a, a great way of looking at ourselves as women in a very different respect. Um, so those kinds of things, even Barbie, you know, look at how successful Barbie has been because Barbie's supposed to be fun. Um, I didn't think it was a particularly fun movie, but <laughs> I, I, they, they got the trappings right. You know, um, nostalgia, a lot of pink, high heels, pretty women, you know, on and on. So I, I think that, you know, even if we could make a film that was as fun as Barbie, that didn't have all of the, the baggage with it, we didn't feel like we were getting, you know, um, indoctrinated when we went to it. I think that, that those are really easy places where we could start putting money to, to just start shifting the narrative back to something more healthy. And, you know, people would really enjoy engaging in instead of, um, you know, being frustrated by it. I haven't seen Barbie yet. I'll confess. <laughs> I'm very much late to the party. You don't go but, unless you have to. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, the, Ken in the film, oh, yeah. is he made to look like a stupid kind of buffoon? Oh, yeah. Is it, that's so that's what they've yeah. done to men in this film. Yeah. Well, you know, I have used the image and this will date me, but my, um, I remember watching the Gidget movies with my mom back in the day and there's Gidget and who's this, you know, fawning little girl. And then there's Moondoggy who her whole life revolves around. Imagine Ken as Gidget. That's, that's what they've done is Ken becomes this sort of, my whole life is about Barbie and I have nothing outside of it. And, you know, I just am here on the beach, you know, waiting for her to notice me. Um, that's what they've done to Ken and all the men in it. There's not a, a, a useful man in the whole, the whole film. So yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a complete mockery of men from start to finish. That That's the interesting part about all of this is that we're not only having this, this inability to define women for what mm -hmm. they are, but it seems to me that men kind of uh, take some heat too, that they mm -hmm. are dumbed down, that they are, yeah. they are made to look um, foolish, stupid, mm -hmm. yeah. unintelligent. Yeah. Uh, it, so that maybe Maybe that that's the only way that women can supersede men, if you will, is to make the men look really stupid. I'm not sure, but I, I it just I, I'm I have this vivid memory, Carrie, and I'm just going to share it with you. Long ago, watching television with my dad, and commercials would come on where the woman was, and, and obviously commercials are targeted toward women because they're the ones buying right. the products and all of this. Yep. But the the commercials made the the father figure, the the husband figure look really stupid and buffoonish. Mm -hmm. And my dad, a Hispanic male, sat there and said to me, they always make the dad look like a dope. 
Why yeah. do they do this? We're not all yeah. dopes, you know? And yeah. for some reason that stood out in my mind mm -hmm. and I don't think he was wrong. No. And it's continued to this day. I mean, if you watch any daytime TV, you know, woman, um, a man can't even put a diaper on a baby unless the yeah. woman is somehow helping, you know, he's like got a tur turkey baster or something like the stupidest things. <laughs> um, you know, they just make men look ridiculous. And part of this is very intentional. It's a, it's amazing to see how effective feminism is when you're, you're dealing with men, men, you know, it's, it's like kryptonite. It just shuts them down. They don't know what to say. They know they are not going to win any argument about feminism. So they just don't even want to delve into it. And, you know, they have my sympathies because I think they've been, they, they've learned, you know, they've been abused by it and they've had, they've had women gang up on them or they've lost jobs or job opportunities or, or whatnot. You know, most people, you know, you just pay attention to how men talk about these things and you hear, oh, well, I have this feminist boss. Well, they're just going to try and keep their heads low. Um, so I, I think that that's part of the problem is that men don't really know how to address this. And, um, you know, the best way they can do it is by being good men, because that's really what perpetuates this is that lie that, you know, all men are abusers and awful and, you know, oppressing women through their behavior. Um, so I, I think that that's the, you know, part of the solution. Um, but we, it also has to be incumbent upon women to just say like, this is ridiculous and insulting and, it, you know, having a culture built on the resentment of one sex for the other and then vice versa is not really a way to build a civilization. It's, and we see how it's spread into the woke movement. I mean, this is yeah. the exact same mechanism that's being used in all of these areas that are, are damaging our culture right now. Well, what do you think the end game is for these people who are mm -hmm. trying to, to push this ideology and, and, and it's taken root in a number of places? You well yeah. know that. Yeah. What is the end game for them? What is the yeah. goal? Because it, like you said, yeah. it doesn't seem like women are any happier. It mm -hmm. doesn't seem like men are any happier and they're walking on eggshells constantly. And yeah. we're just pitting one against the other. And I'm not sure who benefits. It's about power because look who has the power in the culture to control these things. I mean, this is it, part of the reason to decimate the family, especially the authority of a husband is that it decimates the family. Um, it, it, they, fall apart very, very easily. And this is, is part of the goal because people that are not in strong families are going to be a lot more broken. And we, we see a lot of that going on. Um, you know, even discussion magazine editors getting together to talk about, you know, the products that they can promote and products that are actually going to, and articles that are actually going to be damaging to women. Because if there's damage in women, they need the magazines more for all the self-help and whatnot. Um, so it's this vicious, awful cycle that we've really gotten ourselves into um, because we have bought into this this lie of you know supremacy of women, and it's it's really again funneling into uh, politics and into to power and just how they're they have the capacity to control everything and and the woke movement. You know, it's interesting to see because a lot of us think, well, this is just came out of nowhere. Well, they've been doing this kind of messaging and this kind of virtue signaling for 50 years now. We just yeah. didn't notice it. We just thought it was normal because it was so, you know, we're like that, you know, it was just the frog in the boiling water. We just got yes. used to it. And they also told us things that we like to hear, you know, that, that, um, it, the, the commercials about men, you know, either we're in control and we're powerful and we're smart or the opposite, you know, we're the victims. It's either one or the other. So yeah. we're really playing with our emotions there too. Um, in a lot of different ways. And I think identifying these things goes a long way, but again, we have to see how entrenched this is and how much we've all been, uh, really sabotaged and, or brainwashed by this long, you know, years and years of, of indoctrination. 
And you're right about how long this has been going on. And and for, for so long, I think people have said, well, I've got to be politically correct. I don't want to upset the yeah. apple cart. I don't want right. to get in trouble. I don't yeah. want to make people angry. But yeah. now I think it's gotten to the point, Carrie, where people are feeling coerced. Yeah. They are feeling forced mm-hmm. to say things, acknowledge things, accept Absolutely. accept things that just aren't true, right. that just aren't real. Right. Um, had a great guest on earlier this week named Brendan O'Neill, who has written a book called The Heretic's Manifesto, mm-hmm. Essays About the Unsayable. And one of the things, his first chapter is entitled, Her, excuse me, his first chapter is entitled, yes, Her Penis. So this notion that women can have a penis, Mm -hmm. that men can menstruate, that we are now being uh, simplified into people who are birthing people, chest feeding people. Mm -hmm. It's it's crazy. And I think it's finally gotten so crazy that it's no longer about let's just be nice and not oppress people. It's you. I think people are feeling forced to say and and accept things that just aren't real. How much is that a part of where we are right now? No, I think that's absolutely where, where we are right now. Um, and I think it's also really interesting though, because it feels like, um, there's a, an overstep happening where people are beginning to wake up and realize like, okay, this has just gone too far. This is crazy. And we've got to start doing something about that. So I think that that aspect is working to our advantage, you know, certainly is what's happened with Bud Light and Target. Um, people are finding ways to just push back, even if it's just by not purchasing things and, and which I think will give pause to, to other corporations. But up until really this year, it was a very hard thing to sort of use a boycott or anything to actually change things politically. So I think we have a lot of hope, um, in, in that aspect. But, um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. I think the way out of it is not, we can't keep doing what we've been doing. Um, we can't keep in- encouraging, uh, you know, this women to be the sort of whatever we think they want to be um, kind of attitude. We have to sort of get back to recognizing that our bodies tell us something about who we are, our souls, our relationship with men. All of these pieces are are vitally important and we can't ignore them because it's, you know, seen by politically seen you're perceived as politically incorrect or, um, you know, somehow dated or, or brainwashed. Yeah. So, it, yeah it, we have our work cut out for us. The, we have our work cut out for us. These are strange things. Um, you clearly have researched a great deal, as you mentioned, for this book. Was there any particular result or observation that you made that you sort of went, I didn't expect that? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great question. Um, I really most of the first half of the book, all the the very first wave feminist stuff that I dug into, I was amazed by. I had no idea. I, you know, I've been, I think we've heard a lot that, you know, maybe feminism was hijacked in the sixties by the leftists and whatnot. Um, but I, I was amazed. I thought I would find like lovely things about women or something. I just had no idea what was there. Um, but one of the things that really just threw me for a loop was, um, the very first feminist vision actually was articulated by a man, um, by Percy Shelley. He's an English poet writing around the time he died in 1822. And he's using the ideas from his mother-in-law, whom we never met, but Mary Wollstonecraft, and then um, his father-in-law, William Godwin, who had been an anarchist and was very much against marriage. Anyway, their two works he put together and created this vision of the independent woman, who was this woman named Sithna. Um, And his wife, 
not surprisingly, is writing Frankenstein at that time. She's Mary Shelley. She wrote the book Frankenstein. So he creates this woman, Sithna, who's the very first woman in all of history to not have a husband. She doesn't have children. Her only relationship is actually with Satan. Um, so it was really amazing to me to see, you know, where that vision came from, because that's what was passed down through the 1800s. Um, but also to see just how much the occult was involved in that era. Um, the 1900s, things change a lot because communism really starts influencing feminism. And I think um, the communist um, tugs on and, and really the lifestyle of Betty Friedan was another thing I was not expecting either. Um, so, yeah, there were a lot of surprises in this book. And I, you know, I keep hearing from people who have read it that they, they just couldn't believe it. They don't know why they've never heard this before. And that was kind of my reaction. Like, why? why aren't we hearing this? And I think a lot of it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. It's just a lot of polish has been put on the feminist movement and nobody wants to make it look bad and, you know, damage that narrative. So that's really what's behind a, a lot of why we don't know what all of these things that I've discovered in my book. All right. You just threw a name out that I want. And you said the lifestyle of Betty Friedan. She is one yeah, of those I'm... people who was a guest speaker at Cal that I went to listen to. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. What surprised you about the lifestyle of Betty Friedan? This is interesting. So Betty Friedan was actually, uh, there's a whole book written on her that I hadn't seen before until I started researching this by someone who was very sympathetic to her. It was a friend of hers that wanted to make the argument, you know, she was this communist, even at the time of McCarthy, and she still made it through McCarthyism and, and you know, promoted the movement. Um, she was involved in this group called um, Congress for American Women that was actually, it had to be disbanded by the House um, committee for Un-American Activities in the oh. um, in 1949, I think. Um, but it was basically a, pro a you know Soviet propaganda movement for getting academics and influential women involved in in communism. And um, so it, there's a, there's so much in my book. But the, Horowitz makes this great case for just you know she always claimed to be just this just a housewife. Uh, you know she wasn't interested in women's issues until the 50s. And you know she, there are actually articles and many it shows there's a lot of involvement um, that she had in the communist party long before that, even, um, I think starting when she was maybe a senior in high school, but certainly when she was in college and there on out. And you can see threads of it in her work. She's got this quote from, um, angles that Horowitz found in one of her journals. And it talks all about how, you know, women will not be free until they are out of the home, um, that it's the workplace that will, will free them. And, um, you know, that's straight out of Marx and Engels. I mean, that's, you know, that's Hitler's Auschwitz, you know, work will set you free. Um, and that was really the goal that she had. So this is why she called the home, you know, comfortable, comfortable concentration camp. And, you know, was very much involved in trying to psychologically lead women out of the home instead of let, you know, doing what she perceived to be their enslavement, staying home with their family. It's, it's amazing. I'm not surprised to hear this. And we know no. that Marxism is behind a lot of the strange movements in our country right now. And I think people are finally waking up to that. Certainly. But a comfortable concentration yeah. camp. It's in her book. That, I mean, it's amazing. I, did, I hadn't heard that before. So yeah. clearly I didn't pay close enough attention to Betty yeah. Friedan when I was like, yeah. but that, right. that is crazy to me. Like, I, and it, it, it I'm I'm experiencing these feelings of being angry about it mm -hmm. and being baffled by it and also thinking, please, people, <laughs> accept your own reality. And why would you let somebody else tell you 
that you're living in a comfortable concentration camp. And why? So we, we get that people want power and they want to break up the nuclear family and they want everyone to rely upon them and they want people to feel unsafe and nervous and scared. And so they need the magazines and they need everything else. In the meantime, I, I'm just wondering why people buy all of this. Like, is yeah. it, yeah. why are we, mm-hmm. are we that weak? And I think the answer is probably yes, that we just go, <laughs> oh yes, yes. I, I need this. Yeah. I, I think that's a great question. I mean, especially looking at, at Betty Friedan's work because the woman was a, a, a psychology student. She knew how to get women to think the way that she wanted them to, to think like Marxists. And there's a great quote from Simone de Beauvoir that says, you know, if we give women the, the option of staying home or leaving home, they will 100% stay home. Um, so the the idea for Dan was working with was how do we make it attractive to women? How do we make them feel like they're missing out? How do we make this look like there's something that is outside the home that they can't get inside the home that's going to make them much happier? You know, that fear of missing out attitude. So she uses all of those tactics in in this work and women just completely bought into it and you know sadly this is again you know looking back at the 60s and 70s you've got that there's cultures in chaos but you also have kind of the the new use of media and you have women like Gloria Steinem who's very attractive and very articulate um who are selling this and you know magazines were seeing the, the popularity Ms magazine obviously was a huge splash splash so when you both make it attractive you have you, you help women feel like this is something important for them. And then you don't give them any alternatives. What else is, you know, that's all you need. You don't have to do anything other than just keep funneling the exact same message out to women day in and day out. And I, I think that's what we're experiencing. You know, I, th- I think that it's important that you and I agree that we're not saying there haven't been oppressed women. There have been women right. who have been Absolutely. trafficked. There have been women who have Absolutely. been abused. All of it. We, so we can, yeah. so two things Great can point. be true, right? So mm-hmm. that is, is definitely a reality because men are physically bigger and stronger. They have this mm-hmm. power or they have financial power, or whatever it is. Or they're just relationships. Awful. Right. There's awful men, right? They're, or they're just awful. And there are mm-hmm. a lot of awful women too. Let's Absolutely. be frank, right? We, we're all capable of being jerks. But the, the, to say that the only option for that women, woman in an abusive relationship is never go near another man, you know, yeah. get out of that relationship and see, this is what men are. Yeah. That's just a false choice. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, 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 clearly some women have discovered that they've discovered that they can find a partner who is completely wonderful, mm-hmm. but I, I just wonder how much damage amplifying those stories and making it look like, see, mm-hmm. this is toxic masculinity. This is what exists among all men. And therefore, yep. Just get the hell away from them. Yeah, no, and and we see that in spades in the seventies. You've got, um, you know, there's definitely a movement to say that the relationship of you know women to woman was the the, the ideal relationship because the lesbian relationship does not involve um, serving a man in any way, and it doesn't involve the danger of of pregnancy. Um, so that was really a part of of the movement. Um, in addition to just getting rid of gender completely, you know, like let's just whitewash this, and that's where what we've headed into now. But yeah, it's again, that very strange relationship of, of we want, we don't want men to be men, but we want to be like men, but we hate all men. You know, it's just an odd, <laughs> it is really what bizarre. is going on here? You yeah. Know? 
So yeah, it's no very- wonder there's a lot of people are unhappy. I mean, it's oh. just such a confusing, you know, conundrum. It's like, yeah, right. how can you possibly feel healthy and, and confident? Um, right. Before I let you go, and again, folks, the book is The End of Woman, How Smashing the Patriarchy Has Destroyed Us. Carrie Gress is the author. Um, I like to ask people what gives them hope, because mm-hmm. clearly the, I don't think we're in an ideal place in the world right now. And yeah. I, I maybe I'm naive to believe that we can find an ideal place in the world. But mm-hmm. what gives you hope, Carrie? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think a lot of it is, um, I, I'm, I'm see a great ray of hope in what's happening with a lot of the moms move, movements right now. Um, that's kind of incredible to me because we've seen this happen before. I mean, Phyllis Schlafly and her Eagle Forum, you know, no matter what people think of Phyllis Schlafly and the Eagle Forum, she was highly effective in stopping the Equal Rights Amendment. Um, and this was came out of nowhere. I mean, it was just all these, you know, meddling moms that um, got involved and, and, um, push that in that direction. And I think that moms are sort of this wild card that, you know, people in power don't really know what to do with. And they really want us to just stay quiet because they know we talk to other moms. We, they know we share on Instagram and, you know, other social media. They know we also influence our children and our husbands and our wider family. Um, and that's what they've been trying to control for so long. And it finally feels like women are saying like, this is crazy. Like something has got to stop here. Um, so I, I, I think that that is a really great place to, to see a lot of hope is that, you know, especially because these are women that are not celebrities, they don't already have this amazing social status and are, you know, preaching down to us, but they're just out there, you know, angry at what's happening with, with their families and their children and at their schools and whatnot. And I, I think that that's really exciting. And especially because most of us have felt very alone, like, am I the only person out there that thinks this? And so these groups I think are, are doing a lot to help change that. I, I think that's a great point. And there are many of them there are, I mean, and, and so the, the idea that they're all kind of flourishing, bubbling up at the same time kind of makes you think that there's a, a, a worldwide, at least a nationwide realization mm-hmm. uh, of what's happening to kids and that they don't want this for their kids. Yeah. So uh, it is yeah. really an interesting time to be alive, sometimes a very terrifying <laughs> time to be alive. But yep. uh, I'm so grateful that you've written this book, The End of Woman, and I encourage people to to, to pick it up and read it. It is you've done some really interesting research there that like we talked about with Betty Friedan, people don't know about and are going to find fascinating. So Dr. Carrie Gress, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate your time. My pleasure. It's great to be here with you. As always, folks, I end my podcast the same way every day. I say, be brave as I think this, this, this is a brave work of, of, of writing and, and do good. Just be kind to each other, and we'll see you next time.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.